Good morning. It is basketball season again. Uh, and I remember back when the Lakers, which is a team I, I used to follow, in 2004 were going for their fourth ring. They had an all-star team, Shaq and Kobe, but now they had Carl Malone and Gary Payton, two of the all-time greats. And they had already won three in a row, right, three rings in a row, which is hard to do. I mean, this was an unstoppable dream team. They blew through the regular season. They crushed the Western Conference. They went to the NBA Finals. And who were they facing? The Detroit Pistons. I mean, it was a joke. It's like a triple-A baseball team playing the New York Yankees. Uh, Pistons had nobody, no superstars like Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace. They, they, there was no superstar on that team. It looked like the Lakers were going to destroy the Pistons. You know what happened? The Lakers nearly got swept. They lost 4-1. to one. Pistons won the championship. They broke the back of the mighty Los Angeles Lakers. And not only that, but that entire franchise came crumbling down. They sold Shaq off to the Heat. Phil Jackson quit. Carl Malone, Gary Payton retired. It was, a, it was a mess. All they had left was an angry Kobe Bryant. How did this amazing super team lose to this, you know, normal basketball crew? The answer is... What God has been saying to us in the scriptures for thousands of years. Pride comes before the fall. And that's what happened to the Lakers. The pride, the arrogance, the division, the discord in that locker room. That would make a good movie. And that brought their team down. And the Pistons, on the other hand, they played unselfish, humble, scrappy basketball. They crushed the Lakers. Pride comes before the fall. Now today we're looking at a proud fool. We've been looking at fools, personality types that God has revealed to us in the scriptures, kinds of people we don't want to be. We looked at drop the ball Doug, and we looked at lazy Larry and controlling Connie. Whereas these people are focused on selfishness, our fool today, Spotlight Susie, is focused on pride. She's proud, cocky, arrogant. Everybody look at me. Everybody praise me. Everybody like me. Everybody listen to me. This is the kind of fool that we're looking at today. And here's the end of the story. If you read Psalm 73, which is a psalm pretty much dedicated to this type of fool. It's like a story of this fool. It's a case study of this fool. And you look at where this person's life is headed, where your life is headed, if you copy this fool, it doesn't end well. What happens to Spotlight Susie is she is destined to slip, to be ruined, and destroyed. Listen to what God warns in Psalm 73. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. I went to church. Then I discerned their end. Then I figured it out. Truly you, Lord, set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away, utterly by terrors. That's a bad ending to their story. If you play this fool, you will be humiliated. The things that you are building will be ruined. And if you do not repent, your life will be destroyed. We should pay attention to what God has to say today because we don't want humiliation. We want exaltation. We want to be honored. We want to be glorious. And that's not bad. God made you for glory. God's full of glory. God's not chintzy with the glory. He's got plenty of glory to share. He'll give you glory. 
He wants his sons and daughters to be glorious because he's glorious and he wants you to look like him. But his glory is upside down to the glory of this world. The way up is down. The way to exaltation is humbling yourself. The way to be served is to serve. The way to get the applause in the kingdom of God is to be in the shadows serving like a slave. And so we want glory and so to spotlight Susie, but she's not willing to go to God to get it. She's not willing to humble herself before God. And that is why God opposes her. So we're going to look at this profile today and hopefully learn a lot, hope a lot to apply to your life. Let's go ahead and look at a profile of Spotlight Susie or the Glory Way Fool. Now, in this world today, we call these people narcissists. We call them cocky. They're ego trippers. They're vainsters and me monsters. In business, we call them sharks or we call them cutthroats or killers. Man, that guy's a real killer. We have words to describe this kind of fool, but in the Bible, they're called fools. Specifically, halal. Halal. H-A-L-A-L. Halal. In the Bible, there are seven different words used for fool. In English, there's just one. And these seven different words for fool, they break down into about five personality types. And we've looked at Lazy Larry, Controlling Connie, Drop the Ball Doug, and now we're looking at number four, Spotlight Susie. And halal is the sin of pride. It comes from a deeper word, which is howlelah. Hallelujah. And this deeper word means praise myself, praise me, give me the glory. Hallelujah is replacing what we should be saying, which is hallelujah. Hallelujah is praise the Lord, give God glory. Yahweh is the best, but no, no. Spotlight Susie says hallelujah, praise myself. And so she is a halal, a fool. Of a certain stripe. Now, there are three big characteristics of this type of fool. They're competent, they're arrogant, and they're faithless. Competence. They're capable people. They're smart, they're sharp, they know how to make money, they're handsome, they're beautiful, they're in great shape, they're the best athletes. These are the people who are at the top of their game in Hollywood, in Silicon Valley, in Wall Street, in Washington, D.C., You pick the center of power, and these are the people at the top of the pyramid. But here's the problem with that pyramid. It's lacking two sides. You see, great leaders are not just super competent, but they also have character, and they also have commitment. And the problem with these halals, these self-exalting spotlight Susies, is that they're 10 out of 10 on the competence. But they're a 0 out of 10 on the character, and they're a 0 out of 10 on on the commitment. They're not committed to anybody to any cause, to the business, to the contract, to the mission, to the marriage, to the church, to the general welfare. Are you kidding me? They're going to use their power and skill to get theirs. And if they have to cut corners, and if they have to burn people, and they have to forfeit their commitments to do it, they'll do it. These are the kinds of people who make great traitors. And there's no character. In order to be a successful leader, you've got to be competent. But you also got to be righteous and just. You got to do what's right before God and right before people. And you got to have skill. But not these guys. They don't care about right and wrong, good and evil, just and unjust. These are simple, stupid, folksy ideas 
that really weak people make up to control sheep. They are above that. They know that this world is a world where you fight and you scrap and you claw to get yours. And so there is no commitment. There is no character. It's just competence. And that makes them dangerous. So they're competent, like Absalom. Competent, like Samson. Competent, like Nebuchadnezzar at war. But also dangerous. And then they're also arrogant. That means they think that they deserve more than they deserve. They, they, they think they should get more than they should. They should get three, but they want 20. Right? They want all the attention, all the eyeballs, all the decision-making power. They want their way, and they deserve it because they're awesome. There's just this arrogance about them. And finally, they're faithless. They do not stay faithful to their word or their promise. They're not faithful to God for sure. They're not going to put their faith in Jesus. I mean, he's the God who bleeds. What a joke. If I'm going to serve a God, I'm going to serve a God who's strong like Thor. I'm going to serve a God who gives me glory and takes me to Valhalla. You know, this kind of Viking fetish that the Hollywood crowd is on right now, it's pure halal. It's pure spotlight Susie. We're not going to serve Christ. He's the suffering, humbling, bleeding God. That's not manly. That's not tough. That's not the way up. The way up is through force and con- conflict and battle. So they don't, fa- they don't put their faith in Christ. And they're not faithful to what they say they'll do. They'll change parties, they'll change sides, they'll change teams, they'll change businesses, they'll sell out their their own company to a competitor, they'll drop one wife and pick up another. These people are faithless. These are three big characteristics that you've got to watch out for. Another one is their approach to life. They're self-exalters, right? They post way too many selfies of themselves. They post way too many provocative photos of themselves. What? Me? I didn't know that was a big deal. And they're posting these photos that are half naked of themselves so they get men to give them attention. They want glory. They want eyes. They want the spotlight. These are the kinds of people who obsessively check their LinkedIn profile and their Instagram profile, trying to find how many subscriptions and likes and loves they get. They want to show off their wealth and their beauty, their power. Never weakness, never struggle, never pain. Right? Morning hair. I woke up this way. This is what we're talking about. They're also boastful and haughty. Haughty is this kind of condescending attitude. Oh, these women, they're just, they dress very functionally. Yeah, yeah, they're very, very functional, right? It's interesting how you do that at your house. That's interesting. And what it is, is it's just condescending. It's like, I know better, I look better, I am better. And, hmm, to each his own, right? Or they're men who are constantly kind of letting you know what they know about things. They're really smart. They know all the best stuff. Right. They, they have all the best information. Right. And it, there's just kind of a haughtiness. And you may not even see it. But on the way home, as they're driving home, they're comparing notes with their spouse or with their brothers and sisters or someone else. And everything is kind of like, what's wrong with these people? Right. This is haughtiness. And it's arrogance. They also take shortcuts to leadership, power and glory. And this is where it gets serious. This is where we're going from third gear to fifth gear. Because this kind of thing that I'm about to talk about, this destroys families, destroys your marriage. It blows apart churches, and it will destroy cities and nations. When they undermine, when they take shortcuts to leadership and power and glory, what they begin to do is create civil war. Okay, so you have guys like Caesar, Julius Caesar. What's he do? He's a proconsul, which is like basically a general. 
And that's a big deal. He's a young man. It's a pretty honorable position. But he wants more glory. He wants more power. He doesn't want to wait. He, he's, he, he needs to be in charge. And so he goes up and he invades a different country, Gaul, some pretext on the border. And he just keeps going and crushing and destroying every Gallic tribe. He killed two million people. And the ones he didn't kill, he enslaved. He took their wealth. He took their gold and silver. And he sent it back to Rome to be distributed to the people. Because he knew how to steal the hearts of the Romans. And if that wasn't enough, I mean, that was illegal war. That, that whole war was illegal, what he did. <clears throat> he came back to Rome. And he marched his army across their northern border, which was, again, illegal, an act of treason. You can't bring a standing army into Rome. But he did. You know why? The law doesn't apply to him. He's above the law. And he brings his army to the capital city, and he makes himself king. And then he initiates a bloody, multi-year civil war that leads to thousands and thousands of Roman sons' deaths. And when it was all said and done, He was lying dead in a puddle of his own blood, stabbed hundreds of times by the senators that just a moment earlier were clapping and cheering for him like sycophants because they hated this man. Everybody hates a halal. Everybody hates a spotlight Susie. They're just waiting for him to turn his back. And after he did all those things, after he was finally dead, that was it for Rome. It was civil war after civil war. It was one Caesar after another. It was debauchery and wickedness and evil that I can't even say on camera. Until finally Rome completely imploded. But it started with Caesar because of his arrogance, because of his need to be the boss. So watch out for those who take shortcuts to leadership and power. Think about Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire cheating their way to home run championships. They don't care about the brand. They don't care about baseball. They don't care about all the millions of kids who look up to them. It doesn't matter because even if they get caught, at least they took their shot at being great. And as a result, they tarnish the sport of baseball. These people are also willing to use lies and threats and violence. This is the kind of person who says you either take the jab or you lose your job. You either mask up or you step down. If you don't tweet what I want and say what I want, if you don't adopt this crazy woke nonsense views on your social media or your human resource department doesn't push DEI on its employees, we're going to boycott. We're going to attack. We're going to threaten. Right? We're going to march through your streets. These are the kinds of people who will use lies and threats and violence to get what they want. And they undermine leaders over them. They're willing to do whatever it takes to take power, including take out leaders. These are king slayers, oath breakers, men like Solomon. I'm sorry, Absalom. They have the same root name. Absalom was the son of David, and he wanted to be king. But rather than ask the Lord for that job... Rather than ask his father for that job, he decided he was going to take it. He was very cunning. And he got himself a posse to conspire around him and attack King David. Here's what it says. It says, And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From which city are you from? And when the man would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say, see, your claims are good and right. But there's no man designated by the king to hear you. Oh, that I were a judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. Man, I wish I could help you. But there's just, there's no magistrates here to take care of you. 
You see, old King David is decrepit, and he doesn't care about you. He's not doing his job anymore. Man, I wish I was the king. I wish he'd finally just pass on the crown. But you know, he just holds on to power. And so there's nobody here to take care of you. I don't know why he does that, you know. I don't know why he doesn't care, but I care. And then it says that whenever a man would come to Absalom to pay homage to him, and the way I think of that is like they're bowing before him, you know, reverentially, because he is a prince. Whenever they would do that, the scripture says he would put out his hand and take hold of them and pick them up and kiss them. No, 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 no. You're my brother. Don't bow before me. We're friends. I'm just your fellow Israelite. I'm just a man of the people. I don't want honor. I just want to give you justice. And then it says a little bit later, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, this is a cunning person. This guy isn't sloppy. He knows what he's doing. This is a very powerful, dangerous man. And he is slowly eroding the goodwill and trust that the people have towards their king, David. Now the Lord sees this. And Absalom is conspiring. And he's gathering around himself king slayers just like him, waiting for the right time to strike. And so it says again in 2 Samuel 15, With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem. That's the capital city. These are big dogs. These are are big men, right? Big, powerful men. 200 men from Jerusalem who invited guests. And the, the editor is careful to make sure that you hear this. And they went in their innocence and knew nothing. These men didn't know what Absalom was up to. They just thought the king had a son named Absalom and he was inviting them to a barbecue out in Hebron. They didn't know he was planning a coup. Then it says, and while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom increased and kept increasing. Absalom is cunning. He's patient. He has a plan. He is very competent. But he's not faithful, and he is arrogant, and he is making mistakes that end up leading to his death. But at the time, it'd be hard to not follow this man. Because if you didn't join his coup, you became a target. This person's key tool is domination. They will use aggression and force to push themselves forward and others out of the way if they need to. There is no line they will not cross. There is no act they will not take to get power. Their attitude is like Dolph Lundgren in Rocky IV. Ivan Drago, I must break you. Remember that picture? Remember Ivan Drago telling Rocky, hey man, no hard feelings, but I have to break you because you're standing in the way of the glory of Mother Russia. And so I'm going to break you like a twig. Now, of course, he didn't do that, but that's what made it so exciting. Ivan Drago, I will break you. That's the kind of person we're talking about. That's Spotlight Susie. That's the whole law. In politics, Lyndon Johnson was famous for giving people what was called the Johnson treatment. All up in their grill. You better pass my legislation. If you don't, I'm going to break you. In politics, you see this all the time. So this kind of person with this profile that we just described, they're dangerous and you find them everywhere. Did you know that you can find them in families? Did you know that you could be married to a halal? Your parents could be halals. 
Your brother and sister could be a halal. You could be a halal. What does it look like in a family? Here's what it looks like. In a family, you have a spouse who is superior, who is just a cut above. You have a spouse who's always trying to control you or tell you how to be a little bit better, improve you. They think they should call the shots. They have a superiority complex. And at first, maybe when you early, early in your marriage, they try to, you know, give you suggestions. Maybe there's some bribes. Then it gets to be threats. Then it gets to be neglect. And then they're just done. You know what? If you're not going to do your job, if you're not going to be the best you can be, if you're not going to do what you should do, then fine. And they will often leave their, their covenant that they made to their spouse and go find a mistress or go find someone to sleep with. Why not? They're faithless. Why shouldn't they keep their, why should they keep their covenant when they're not doing what they should do? When they're not living up to my standards. And so you have someone who's kind of always on you, never quite satisfied. You're always disappointing them, right? And if you're a child in this household, then you tend to be ground down to dust because you're also not good enough. You're just a kid and you do silly things and you get in their way. You embarrass house sprinkle. You know, and so these types of kids, they become passive, afraid to try anything for fear of displeasing their halal parents, or they become very aggressive and violent and maybe predatory because that's how they survive in this Hunger Games household. It's not good to live in the household of the halal. And then there's the churches, and they're all over churches. These are men and women who are very capable. They're great teachers. They're great communicators. Maybe they have wealth and influence. They have some real skill, maybe some experience in ministry. They look impressive. And they come in and they want to lead, right? They want to serve just a little bit, probably, preferably in the front, on the stage, in front of people so people can see. They don't want to serve in the back. They don't want to set the chairs. They don't want to serve in the kids' zone. They don't want to take positions that are out of the spotlight. And they want to be elevated quickly to leadership. And they'll let you know in a variety of ways. This has happened at Church in the Valley for, for all of its time. And what they want is they want to circumvent the standards that God has given for leadership in a church, which is one of them is you have to serve. You have to become tested and known. We have to know who you are. And that takes time. And so very quickly, they begin to try to gather a following or a faction around them. And there's a couple ways you can do this. One is you can make a secondary issue of theology or, or ministry philosophy. You can make a secondary issue, like a preference you have on something, a really big deal. And then pretty soon you start gathering people around who like to listen to you or think you're, you know, influential, popular, and they just like to be by the glow, you know. And then you look at the leader and say, why don't they do this? And why don't they lead this way? And why aren't they going this way? Or maybe what it is is there's a lot of chaos in the culture. And it's a crazy time, like right now. And nobody quite knows what's going on and where things are headed. And there's a lot of anxiety. And so you become this expert on some issue. And you start telling people what you know about medicine or about dieting or about health or about education or about politics or about economics or about whatever topic. It's the thing that you're really into. And you're posting online and you're sending people articles and you're bringing it up in groups. And and you're kind of becoming known for this thing that you are really big into. And if you're not careful, you may find yourself orbiting around a person who's actually a halal, a self-exalter, a spotlight Susie. And very quickly, they'll say something like, well, why doesn't Pastor Matt ever talk about that? Why doesn't Pastor Randy or Pastor Thad, why doesn't this church, why, why do you guys, and it's not wrong to ask questions to the people who are in positions of making decisions. But when you're doing that with people around you, to, to kind of slowly undermine 
the leader, this is setting up division and driving it in the group. And that can only make way for, if you're not the halal, a halal who's coming. Because division is how they, they, they stand up high. It's, how they, it's, it's the, the blocks they stand on to take a shot at leadership. And these are wolves who come into the flock to devour it. And so leaders are given responsibility to protect the flock from it. Now, I'm taking a lot of time to talk about this, being very specific. And the reason why is because this isn't some obscure doctrine that's not relevant to you. You and your family, your kids, your grandkids are now and are going to continue to be groomed, groomed to fear these fools. We are being groomed to fear these kinds of fools. Nobody's being groomed to to want to be like Lazy Larry. Nobody is watching TV and saying, man, I wish I was more of a controlling wife. Nobody's saying, wow, drug addicts, it always works out for them. We don't exalt these people. Lazy, controlling, passion-driven people. They don't, they're the ones that we make fun of. But in our society, we glorify, we honor, we fear these kinds of fools. Spotlight Susie. In the Bible, fear means to revere, to respect, to admire, to try to be like. And that's what we do in our society. In our movies, you have guys like Iron Man. And you have, you know, Doctor Strange and Sherlock Holmes and Dominic Toretto from Fast and the Furious 56. And all of them have the same basic profile. They're strong, they're capable, they're competent in some way. They treat everybody like dirt, and they always win in the end. That is the perfect halal story. In politics, we have leaders in every branch of government who have no commitment to the American people, no commitment to the Constitution, who will burn you as soon as you are no longer useful to them, people whose character, let's just say, is not high. And we see it all around us. And these are the ones that our society is constantly talking about. I mean, you got Gavin Newsom thinking about running for president. Gavin Newsom? And he'd probably get millions and millions of votes. And despite how effective Donald Trump was as a president and all the good things that he may have done in your estimation, nobody thinks that Donald Trump is the kind of guy you want your son to be like. Nobody wants their daughter to be treated by their boyfriend or husband, the way Donald Trump treats women, right? He's not a high-character guy. He may be a thug. He may be your thug. He may be fighting on your side, but he's still a thug. And Joe Biden ain't no better. And neither is Obama. No matter how smooth he sounds, he's just as compromised. These are the people we have in leadership today, politically. In business, everybody can't wait to hear what Elon thinks about aliens Everybody can't wait to hear what Warren Buffett thinks about social justice. People love to drink down the wisdom of Bill Gates, Microsoft founder, on the subject of vaccinations. These people, why are they pontificating on areas of life they have no authority in? And why are people listening? Because our society worships, fears, halal fools. And your kids and you yourself can easily find yourself envying them. Now, this is an old temptation. In fact, Psalm 73 addresses it directly. And I want to point this out to you because you may not notice this, but your own heart may be stolen by the Absaloms of our day away from faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. 
you may look at them and begin to admire them and want to imitate them and listen to them. And pretty soon you find yourself either in their grip or as one of them. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 73. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Lord, they are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts are overflowing with folly. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against heaven. And their tongues strut through the earth like they own the place. And all this is happening in front of us, Lord. All this is happening in front of Christians. And therefore, his people, the Christian people, turn back to these fools and they find no fault in these people. Oh, they're so smart. They're so wise. Did you hear what Tucker said? Did you hear what? Did you see what? Have you ever watched? Did you ever subscribe? You know what this guy said? We, we, are, we are worshiping the powerful without any reference to what God says is wise. And this psalmist is saying, I have been there. I have envied them. I have seen their success and thought, man, why am I being faithful? Why have I kept myself pure? But you need to know something. You need to watch the story to the end. When you're young and you haven't lived much life, you haven't seen Halal's fall, crash and burn. You haven't seen God do what God does to these people. But if you live long enough, you've seen self-exalters brought low. Hey, Hillary Clinton, President of the United States, 2016, right? Nope. Why not? Because she was arrogant. She was cocky. It's my turn. It's my turn. I deserve it. So she doesn't go to Wisconsin. She doesn't go to Michigan. She doesn't go to Pennsylvania. She, she basically mocks half the country, calls them deplorable. Because she knows she's going to win. This guy's, a, this guy's a reality TV star. There's no way he's going to beat me. And guess what? Her political career was destroyed. What about, what about the great Lance Armstrong? Right? On the Wheaties box. Nine-time Tour de France winner. Millionaire. Billion-dollar company. Live strong. Every president, every pope, every big name wants to take a picture with this guy. Superstar wife, Cheryl Crow. Where's Lance Armstrong today? He's nowhere. Stripped of his titles, lost his business, bankrupt, divorced. Kids don't want nothing to do with him. Can't even look at a bike without getting a fine. What happened to Lance Armstrong? Pride comes before the fall. He slipped, he fell, he was ruined, and everything he built God destroyed. Because the Lord, the Lord Jesus, he rules and reigns in this reality. And he will bring low those who lift themselves up on high. So don't allow yourself to be groomed by these people. And you can't stop that from happening unless you know their profile. Hence the time we took looking at it. And I want to encourage you to go back and watch this sermon again. Look at those notes. Read through the scriptures attached so that you become really familiar with this kind of personality. Because if you're not careful, you will find yourself imitating Spotlight Susie. And Spotlight Susie will not trust the Lord. Mm-mm. She's not going to humble herself before the Lord. She's not going to follow Jesus. She, she knows that Jesus says you got to carry your cross to follow him. you got to sacrifice. you got to serve. you got to love. you got to lay it down. you got to be willing to die to things. 
hoping that God will resurrect them. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if God rips me off? And so Spotlight Susie is not going to go to God for glory. And she's never going to sacrifice her glory that she got on her own with her own strength. She's never going to sacrifice that glory to honor Jesus Christ. And so the way of life is cut off from her. So you want to avoid these people. They're dangerous people. And you have to protect your family and your church and your business and your community from these people. So how do you do that? How do you protect yourself from these people? You have to become wise. You have to become wicked smart, as they say in Boston, but without the wicked. you got to become wise. Now, King Solomon says something very interesting about this. This is kind of a good summary of what you've got to do if you want to beat these people. You want to overcome them. He says in Ecclesiastes 9, Listen up, son. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. This is a big deal to me, says Solomon. There was a city, right? little city. Few men in it. Not very many people. And a great king with lots of people came against it and besieged it. He built great siege works against this city. I mean, no city can withstand that, right? But there was found in it a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised, there's no spotlight on this poor man. Although his wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, wisdom is better than weapons of war. How will you overcome the weapons of war of the halal? How will you overcome the might of the halal? The answer is wisdom. You have to become wise. And in order to become wise, you have to start with the Bible says to start. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you will never be wise unless you fear the Lord Jesus. And that means you bend the knee. You agree with God. You acknowledge his authority. You say your words are true. When God says to you, you have sinned against me, a holy God, and you stand before me condemned for your sin. You have not lived as you should have lived. You have offended me. You have sinned against me. And because of that, your consequence, the punishment you deserve is death. And you say to God, you're right, guilty. I, I agree. I have sinned against you. I see that you are God and you have the right to say what is right and what is wrong. You have the right to judge me. And I agree. I confess. I declare myself guilty. And you believe what God says when he says, I have punished my son, Jesus, in your place. His death will be your death. His burial will be your burial. And I have raised him back up again so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit of power. Now, when you fear God, you believe everything I just said because all that's found in the scriptures. And if you have not yet said to the Lord, I want to follow you. Please forgive me for my sins. Make me a Christian in Jesus' name. Then I want to encourage you to do that. That is the first step into wisdom, fearing the Lord Jesus. And number two, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You need to know God. The better you know God, the better you know Him, the more time you spend with Him, learning about Him, what He thinks, what He says, what's right, what's wrong, what He sees, what He agrees with, what He doesn't like, as you grow in that, you become wise. And you will be able to overcome your enemy, the halal. So you have to read the scriptures every day. And it's simple. You open up the Bible, start in the book of John. It's New Testament. Divide the Bible in half. Find the book of John. You start in chapter one. You read one chapter a day and you ask three questions. What did God say? What does God mean? Not what I think he means, but what does he mean? And what is a reasonable response to what God has said in faith? How should I respond? Should I do something? Should I think something? Should I say something? Should I stop doing something? How should I respond? 
As you do those things, you grow in wisdom. Finally, you should be attending Church in the Valley in person every Sunday and making that a priority. Because one of the ways that God ministers to you and gives you wisdom is through corporate worship on Sundays. You have pastors and leaders who love you and who can help you respond wisely to any situation you're facing. So that, like the wise man in the city, you can overcome the great king. Now, what if you are the fool? What's the cure for madness? What if you actually have this kind of folly? Then you have to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. You have to take three shots that will cure you of this stage four cancer that is halal folly. You have to humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and you have to patiently endure. If you read 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Seems like an innocuous verse. But no, it is full of power. Humble yourself. That means that you confess your sins. Every day you're down on your knees confessing to God my sins. God, I confess my lust. I confess my greed, I confess my gluttony, I confess my fear, I confess my unforgiveness, my bitterness, my hatred, my anger, my malice, I confess my anxiety, I confess that I want this, I confess I confess these things that you're showing me. God, I admit them to you and I ask for your forgiveness and I believe your words when you said that those sins that I've committed have been forgiven in Jesus. So I receive your forgiveness and God help me to walk in faith and not in those sins in Jesus' name. That's how you humble yourself before God. You also humble yourself by secretly serving God's people, secretly serving your family, secretly serving where nobody sees. And what you do in the shadows, God will honor you in public. You should secretly serve. And then finally, instead of boasting about yourself, you should be bragging about God and all the good he's done. And if he hasn't done much good, it's because you haven't been trusting him and walking with him. So figure out what he says to do in every area of life and do it. And as you walk in faith, you'll see his faithfulness to you. Then you can look back on it and say, look at the goodness of God in my life. And in the meantime, praise his people. If there's something commendable about your brother or sister in Christ, about your husband or wife, then brag on them. Tell other people about their good qualities. The Bible says, outdo one another in showing honor. So do that. That's humbling yourself. What about under God's mighty hand? Under God's mighty hand means there's no part of your life that's off limits to God. Lord, don't touch, no, 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 don't touch my dreams. No, no, don't touch my pocketbook and my money and my standard of living and the way my wife and I are breaking up the money and the jobs. No, no, don't touch that. No, 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 don't, 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 don't touch that. I, that I, that's where I'm making my name. That's where people are starting to listen to me. That's, that's my, my online profile. That's building my clout. Don't, don't touch that, right? Don't touch my time, my free time, right? No, 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 no don't touch the way I talk. Don't touch the way I dress. Don't touch the way if there's any error in your life that you're saying to the Lord, don't touch that. Then you're not under the mighty hand of God. You're above it. And God will oppose you. But if you humble yourself and say to the Lord, all of my life is yours, you can change and touch anything. That is how you begin to cure yourself of this pride. And then number three, patiently endure. When is God going to exalt me? Right on time. But you wait for him to exalt you. And he will. Your prayer should be something like, Lord, I am your servant. Not my will, but yours be done. I will trust you to lift me up when, how, and for as long as you want. And in the meantime, I will cheerfully do my duty before you while while I honor others before me. This is a prayer that I wrote down in your handout so that you can practice saying it in the morning. And there are five shifts, finally, that you can make to make you wiser. Number one, stop. 
Put off praising yourself and put on praising God and others. Number two, put off dominating others and put on serving and persuading others. Number three, put off being a free agent, always leaving your options open, not making commitments to your friends, not making commitments at school, not making commitments at work, not not really committing yourself at the church, not committing yourself really anywhere because you want to keep your options open. You want to be a free agent. That's arrogant. Put off being a free agent and join the team and serve. And number four, put off your agenda and put on Christ's agenda. What does God want for your life? Have you asked him that? Have you said to the Lord, I will do what you want, when you want, where you want, for as long as you want, however you want. Please just show me. That's a good prayer to pray. If you'll do this, God will exalt you. If you'll humble yourself, God in time will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself like spot like Susie, you will slip, you will fall. All that you build will be ruined. And if you do not repent, God will take you home in disaster. So here are some next steps for you to consider. Number one, confess your pride to the Lord, whatever that might be. That's very cleansing. Number two, I will receive Christ as Lord and Savior and receive his forgiveness. Number three, the next step you could take is I will give up my self-exalting strategy of and fill in the blank. And number four, in faith, I will humble myself in the following way this week. Fill in the blank. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word and for the wisdom that you've given us in the scriptures. God, I pray that you would apply these things to our lives as we need, that you would free us from our folly, and that you would give us your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.